0: My name is Matthew, and I'm just uh, really delighted that you're here. If you are new to Jesus, I'm so glad you're here today. And it's just been so encouraging for me in the last um, number of months, just continue to meet people who are brand new on, on this journey of faith. And so thank you so much. Uh, I know some of you have started tuning in with the live stream. I know some of you are live streaming right now, and um, you're kind of brand new to the whole Christian story. So really just grateful for, for you. Thank you for being part of this, and I do hope that today you will be caught by the incredible love and grace and hope of, of Jesus the King. Um, that's, that's my heart's desire for today. And so uh, some of you will know that we're in this series, uh, The Kingdom of God. We're in week four. And, uh, you know, the kingdom of God was so startling for me when I first, uh, a number of years ago, maybe it was like 10, 15 years ago, when I was just kind of really struck by Jesus teaching on the kingdom because I had grown up in a... in in. Um, a church setting, that talked a lot about some really true good things. So being born again, uh, being saved, uh, eternal life, uh, going to heaven, uh, all of these things, which you need to know, we all believe here. Uh, we hold those things to be very true. Uh, every memorial that I do here at the church, we have the hope of heaven, the hope that this person is now in the presence of Jesus, and it is so good. But there is an aspect to Jesus' teaching that I feel like I not, I didn't learn much about it. Not many people taught me about his message of the kingdom of God. And it's incredibly important. Why is it important? Because it's about today. It's about now. It's about seeing the, the beauty of what God is up to in the heavens impacting today. Impacting our lives, that there's a way to live, there's a way to love others, and and it impacts our lives here and now. And so I am just excited about this series. I hope you're excited um, to discover more and more. By the way, even when this series ends in a few weeks, I hope that the kingdom of God continues to resonate in your in your mind, uh, in your heart, and that you'll keep doing a deep dive into everything Jesus wanted us to see about the kingdom. And so we've been asking this question, what is the kingdom of God? When, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' life, you just run into this all over the place, the kingdom of God. And what, what, what is this about? Well, I love um, a description of the kingdom of God by um, a, a Bible teacher named Tim Mackey. And he, he writes this, the kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. I love that. It's how God is taking back his world. It's how God is healing his world. Um, the, the last couple of weeks, those of you who are here, you'll know that we, we spoke about this uh, way of doing Japanese pottery called kintsugi. And kintsugi is uh, when a pot breaks into different pieces, um, uh, the, the artist will take the pieces and put them back together with this golden glue. And uh, each, pottery, each piece of pottery is so unique and different. And um, I love that image. Uh, of God putting the world back together. A broken world is being put back together. How is God doing that? Through the kingdom of God. It's how God is repairing the world uh, from all of its brokenness. And so I think this is a great helpful image for the kingdom of God. God is the great potter, the great artist who is putting us back together. He's putting you back together, all of your broken pieces. He's the great artist. And so today in week four on the kingdom of God, we are looking at a kingdom of self-giving love, a kingdom of self-giving love. Jesus, I believe, offers us a way of dealing with conflict. Are you in a conflict right now? I bet you every one of us in the room could in some way or another say yes. Whether it's large or whether it's small, right, a small seed of a conflict. Each of us are walking through something. How are you dealing with that? What's the way in which you're operating? What are the values that you have as you engage in conflict? How many of us are dealing with some evil, some injustice? Today, Jesus will invite you into his way, into his way of the kingdom of God to practice self-giving love. One theologian said it this way, the kingdoms of the world run on violence, the kingdom of God runs on love. When I was in grade seven and grade eight, every night, and I'm telling you every night, I read Calvin and Hobbes before I went to bed. How many of you are Calvin and Hobbes fans? You are my best friends. And uh, Hobbes Hobbes is the um, stuffed toy tiger (laughs) who comes alive in these conversations with Calvin. And uh, Calvin's a little boy. And so they're they're having a conversation. And it's going to be hard to see on the slide, so I'll just read to you what's going on here. So Hobbes the tiger says to Calvin, how come we play war and not peace? Calvin responds by saying, too few role models. And as they begin their game, Calvin says, I'll be the fearless American defender of liberty and democracy. And you can be the loathsome, godless, communist oppressor. We're at war. So if you get hit with a dart, you're dead. And the other side wins, okay? And Hobbes the tiger says, Gotcha. And then they begin to play and whap, whap. And they stare at each other. And Calvin looks at Hobbes and says, Kind of a stupid game, isn't it? (laughs) And Jesus, we do this kind of stuff all the time. And we're in we're in these conflicts that we're just all we know how to do is just aim and shoot. And would you show us a better way today? Jesus, there are some radical moments in your life that we're going to look at today. And we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts. That we would see the reality of the kingdom of God, a kingdom of self-giving love. And that we would take, your, take you up on your offer to be part of this kingdom. Lord, we need your help. And we already pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving in the room because we cannot live this way without your presence, without your love, without you in us. So come Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, uh, if you uh, have attended North Langley for a while, uh, there have been a couple times in the, in the past that I've used a particular movie as an illustration. It's one of my favorite movies. I'm going to use it again today. For any of you who are kids in the 80s, uh, just, uh, I don't know if you love the movie War Games with Matthew Broderick. Any War Games fans uh, in the room? Just a few of you. Cool. And if you also liked Calvin and Hobbes, then you are my double favorite people. Uh, War Games and Calvin and Hobbes. So War Games. Um, So Matthew Broderick uh, stars as this kid named David Lightman. He's a computer whiz kid from uh, Seattle. Uh, He's a hacker, computer hacker, and he loves video games. So he he skips school one day, this is the very beginning of the movie, he skips school, he goes home, he's trying to play video games, and he hacks into what he thinks is just this cool new video game online, but it actually uh, is... Is uh, Russia's missile, nuclear missile system. <laughs> and the computer says, would you like to play the game of nuclear war? And David Lightman is like, sure. And so he starts setting off uh, nuclear warheads to, to be launched, to fly to America and destroy America. And um, and by the way, what a relevant topic for today. Uh, interesting, right? This is so sad, kind of, right? This is the early 80s and, and we're still dealing with this. So Fast forward the whole movie, I'm gonna spoil the end of it. So uh, the end, David is at NORAD, some of you know this location, it's a bunker in Colorado, working with uh, Professor Falcon, who invented this computer. And uh, they're trying to teach the computer not to launch the missiles. Uh, the computer, uh, there's no kind of system to kind of uh, stop the missiles, so the computer needs to learn to stop them themselves, <laughs> itself or whatever. And so they're trying to teach this computer to stop. And in a moment of genius, uh, he tells the computer to play tic-tac-toe against itself. And uh, if any of you have played tic-tac-toe against yourself, you know it's futile, right? Like there is no winner. And, uh, and, if, and if, um, if part of you won, uh, Uh, that's very interesting uh, about your life (laughs) if you actually beat yourself at tic-tac-toe. But anyway, the idea there is that you can't beat yourself at tic-tac-toe. And so the computer learns the concept of a no-win scenario. You can't win when you play tic-tac-toe against yourself, and you can't win in nuclear war. The computer learns the concept of, quote, mutual assured destruction, If we play the nuclear war game, nobody wins, right? Nobody wins. Just like Tic-Tac-Toe, nobody wins. And so the computer uh, actually speaks and says this, quote, Greetings, Professor Falcon. Hello. A strange game. The only winning move is not to play. How about a nice game of chess? (laughs) And with that, the movie ends, and no missiles are launched, and the world is saved, and Matthew Broderick is a hero. So there we go. I spoiled the movie for you. Mutual assured destruction. Today, Jesus knows that the kingdoms of this world will offer nothing but mutual, assured destruction. I get bitter, and you get bitter right back at me. I sue you, you, lawyer up, and sue me. I gossip behind your back, you'll gossip behind mine. I cheat on you, you cheat on me. I give you the silent treatment, and you respond with the silent treatment. Mutual, assured destruction. No winners in that game. This is how the kingdoms of this world operate. But through Jesus, we have been rescued out of the kingdoms of darkness, out of this way of living. Just, you know, there's an image of the Exodus, and Colossians 1 is such a powerful verse. So... We, we, we read this, for he, that's God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, this image of pulling us up out of slavery, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, we've been, we have been lifted out of the dominion of darkness. So dominion is that idea of kingdom, right? It's, it's uh, total rulership. So we've been rescued out of the dominion of darkness, and we've been placed in Jesus' kingdom, where we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven. We've been cleansed of the old way. And so while there's two ways to live, there are really only two ways to deal with conflict, two ways to live. And if the kingdom of darkness offers mutual assured destruction, and you and I have been rescued out of that kingdom, then what does the kingdom of God look like? All right, well, I want to take you to a moment when Jesus is standing face to face in front of Pontius Pilate. If you're new to Jesus, just so you know, this is the moment, the day, the morning of his death. He's about to die on a Roman cross, and he's standing, uh, he's on trial, and he looks at Pontius Pilate. Who's Pontius Pilate? He was the Roman governor uh, of the province of Judea from about 26 to 36 AD, and for about 10 years, he was absolutely brutal against the Jewish people. Just so you know, the Roman Empire needed a steady corn supply from Egypt. So it was important that Israel was a place of trade, right? It's a trade route, that it needed to be stable, there needed to be peace, um, and there needed to be submission to Rome. So Pilate was going to bring peace to the area so that trade would happen peacefully. And the way he would bring peace is with a sword, right? That's one way to get peace, the only way the empire achieves peace is because they have a bigger sword than their enemies, or more gunpowder, or cannons, or bombs, or tanks, or drones, or whatever. That's how the kingdom of the world operates. And in our story today, Jesus is looking into the face of Pilate. And this, this actually happened in history. Quick rabbit trail. For any of you who are new to Jesus and you're like, are all the stories of Jesus just in the Bible? It's kind of like this cyclical thing. It's like Jesus existed, but it, we read about him in the Bible. Is there any outside the Bible evidence that Jesus actually existed. And, and there is, I wanna read, read one of the examples to you. Um, this is from a non-Christian Roman historian and senator named Tacitus, who, who wrote in 116. He says, Christus suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, right? Which I think is cool. It's just outside evidence uh, that this happened in history. So Pontius Pilate, looking into the eyes of Jesus. This is a real moment. And here Jesus is in chains. He's on trial. He's been betrayed by all of his friends. And he's alone. And he's about to be crucified. And right here in front of Pilate, he begins talking about the kingdom of God. And I want to read what he says. John 18, 36. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Listen to Jesus. He's saying, if my kingdom, because he's a king, if my kingdom was from here, uh, there would be all kinds of fighting, all kinds of fighting right now, all kinds. Jesus led... His group of 12, but there were a larger group of 70, there were hundreds beyond that. They would have, it would be armed rebellion, right? My servants would fight. If the kingdom, if his kingdom was from this world, they would use violence. Of course. But Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. Well, what does that mean? My kingdom is not of this world. He does not mean that the kingdom is not here. Right? That would go against like everything else he's taught about the kingdom of God. So what is he getting at? My kingdom is not of this world. Well, the word source is important here. Right? The source of Jesus' kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. It's the source. The kingdom does not play with the rules it's of this world. Right? Where's the kingdom coming from? From the heavens. The source of Jesus' kingdom on earth is from the heavens. The heavens are being poured out upon the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, in God's space, his will is being done. Perfect love, perfect peace. And Jesus is saying, the source is, its, the kingdom on earth is, its source is the heavens. It's being poured out here on earth. So what does that look like? Well, it's a kingdom of peace. It's not coming as it, it's poured out of heaven. It's not being poured out in violence. It's being poured out in self-giving love. How do we know that? Because Jesus is about to give up his life for the world. It's self-giving love. The cross is the climax of the kingdom coming. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, my servants are not going to fight. There are two operating systems in the world, and they're not planned by this one. They're not going to fight. They're not going to resort to violence. My kingdom flows out from the peace of heaven upon the earth. And as it comes, it will not come in the spirit of violence. Because self-giving love is the currency of the kingdom. Self-giving love is the currency of the kingdom. When you see later that afternoon, Jesus, God himself, giving up his life, pouring out his heart praying forgiveness for his enemies as he's crucified upon two pieces of wood. You should see the self-giving love of God, the kingdom coming. So this is massive. Track with me. We've been rescued out of the dominion of darkness. We're not part of that operating system anymore. This kingdom of mutual assured destruction Calvin is so smart. He says, it's a stupid game. Don't play it. No one wins. We've been rescued out of that. And then we have been placed into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like the self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. Do you still want to be part of it? See, the kingdom of darkness uses Pilate's peace plan or you could call it Caesar's peace plan, or the Roman Empire's peace plan, which, as I mentioned earlier, is there's peace because the empire obliterates its enemy. Simple. Some of you grew up studying in history class the Pax Romana, right? It's the peace of Rome. Well, the peace of Rome exists because they obliterated their enemies. This is what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives. We achieve peace by ridding ourselves of that person from our life. We achieve peace because we send the email or the text and we really let them have it. And then we'll have peace. We'll have peace if we can ruin their reputation. We'll have peace if we could just put this person in their place. Then I'll have peace. And just so you know, I need to say this every time and I hope you're not getting sick of me saying this every time, we need good boundaries. Of course, some of you have had to practice boundaries with those who have abused you and hurt you deeply. And just, you know, here at North Langley, we are for boundaries. We really are. But even as you establish good boundaries, what's the state of your heart towards that person? And then for many of us who operate just in the day-to-day, kind of that 90% of our lives where we don't need strict boundaries, but we're trying to operate in normal conflict in everyday life. And what about political conflict and how you engage with people you disagree with? I mean, all of it. Just as we think through it, we, what do we do? We daydream revenge scenarios, right? Do you daydream revenge scenarios? This is what I'm going to say when I see them next. This is what I'm going to say when I wake up in the morning. I'm going to send them an email, and it's going to say this. And you're just, you're just, it's, just, it's just in your brain. You're just thinking through it. You can't stop thinking. What will I do when I talk to that person again? But, but, but if we're honest, we, we know that deep down, this is not the way to, to bring a deep healing or a deep justice or a true reconciliation. N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope, says, the difference between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God lies exactly in this, that the kingdom of God comes through the death and resurrection of his son, not through naked displays of brute force or wealth. There are two completely different operating systems at work in the world. Which one are you gonna be part of? You have to make a choice. It is no good to say you're following Jesus if you're not following Jesus. It's, it's not honest for me to say I follow Jesus when I completely live by the way of the kingdoms of darkness. Retribution, no forgiveness, bitterness, a short temper, deep pride, gossip, bullying, What kingdom am I actually part of? I I, I want us to dive into an example. Um, I think you can all agree with me here that anger is the currency of our polarized age. I don't think I'm saying anything new here. (laughs) Anger is the currency of our polarized age, right? Can I get an amen? Amen, amen. (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah, we don't like to admit it, right? It, it is, it is. We're all angry. We're all raging, right? Politically. I've been, I've been trying to understand Jesus, and I really, I mean this honestly. I'm trying to understand Jesus and his interactions with the Roman Empire. I've been trying to watch him, and learn from him. And how many times does Jesus get angry with the Roman Empire? I, I can't think of a moment. Now, just so you know, you might think of a moment right now. I mean this honestly, not in, like, hyperbole or something. Or uh, I, I, um, I don't know if hyperbole is the right word, but I, I honestly... Send me an email. Like, if you know a story... Like, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus um, uh, interacting, getting angry with the Roman Empire, send it to me, because re- I'm trying to learn how Jesus interacts with, with his enemies. But I, I can't think of a time. And even if there is one or maybe two... that that maybe you know of, uh, it doesn't seem to be his normal mode of operating, right? And and just so you know, he had every reason to be angry at the Roman Empire. Bitter, vengeful, deeply upset. This is a cool little rabbit trail. Like, I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek, the word for carpenter is the same as stonemason. And so we've grown up thinking Jesus was like a carpenter in some kind of cool little hipster crafty shop with his dad, you know, learning how to make cool pieces of wood. Just, you know, the same word could be stonemason. Now, let me give you a very different scenario that could be very true. Near Nazareth, archaeologists in the last number of years have discovered this Roman garrison that was being built all of stone right near Nazareth. And it would have been very common for local Jews to, to be employed or to work for the empire. Now, now, now picture this. What if Jesus had to pack his lunch every day with his dad, with Joseph, and head over to build for the mighty Roman Empire, the very people that are oppressing his own people. He had to work with stone every day, building the empire. That gives a very different picture of what his growing up years were like, right? And we don't know, right? We don't know, but it's the same word, stonemason, carpenter. And, and, And we see Jesus dealing with watching his own people brutally treated by the Roman Empire. And then Jesus has to experience the 40 lashes on his own back, and he's crucified. I mean, if there's anyone that has reason to be angry at the Roman Empire, it's Jesus. But Jesus knew something profound. He knew that human anger would not produce the righteousness that God desires. He knew that. Listen to what his little brother, James, writes in James 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, he had heard his older brother teach that. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Again, human anger just won't get us to where we hope we're going to go. It is incapable of getting us there. And we keep trying. And human anger is the currency of the polarized age. So what does your heart look like these days? I'd like to take a moment um, to chat with some of my, uh, a group of people here in the room. That's not all of you, just so you know, just a group of people in the room who are kind of, uh, maybe think about the world in the same way that I do. And so I'd like to chat specifically, you don't have to raise your hands if you're part of this group, just, <laughs> you don't have to out yourself, but this is a, I wanna to speak to my social conservative friends in the room. If you're here and you identify as maybe progressive or liberal or whatever, so glad you're here, it's awesome. Just I wanna take a moment to talk to a cluster of people that I actually am most align with, I most identify with and I need to say something to, to, to my friends. I need to say something to me, really. So for all of us who think alike, and we're on the kind of social conservative side of things, here's the deal. I see something in us that doesn't look like Jesus. You and I are so frustrated with the culture around us, with the moral decay that we see around us, with messed up politics, with the absolute silence and cowardice from political leaders on issues that you and I care deeply about. And we feel that we are being attacked. I get it. It is hard for me to watch the news in the last week and see Supreme Court things south of the border and to hear crickets and silence and nothing north of the border on issues that I care about. I get it. But what do we do? I've been listening to our conversations. What do we do? We adopt war language. It's a battle. It's a culture war. It's time to fight. And here's what I want to say. If we're fighting a culture war, then then we will begin to play with the weapons of the world. And it will lead only one place, to mutual assured destruction. I love what one author named Cap Stewart says. He says, if you're fighting the culture war, you're losing. It's a loss for everyone. Could, could, could I ask, what does your heart look like? Talk to me about the unhealed deep anger you're feeling politically. Talk to me about the unhealed deep bitterness you're feeling. Talk to me about the names that come into your mind or the names that you've expressed on social media calling our political leaders' names, right? And we begin to adopt these weapons that we fight with that don't look at all like our savior. I don't need to go to war with the culture. I know that the culture around me is messed up. Of course, I, sometimes I feel like we think we're living in Mayberry on the Andy Griffith show, right? That's an old reference. <laughs> it's like we're... Oh, we're not living in Mayberry? Of course, not. we're living in Babylon. Was that news to anyone? <laughs> does anyone wake up? We're like, what, we're living in Babylon? Yeah, we're living in Babylon. Where did we think we were living? And what does it mean to fight against the culture? To fight against people? No, that's not the way of Jesus. To fight against ideas? Okay. But the best way that I found to do that is to enter into loving dialogue with someone, with one person, <laughs> Trust me, I am pretty entrenched in my own ideas, as I'm sure you are. I'm pretty entrenched in my own ideas. There is not an article you could send me, a website, a protest, a commercial, a book, a manifesto, a rally that has the power to change my mind. I'm entrenched in my own ideas. But here's the deal. When someone sits down with me, that I, whom I disagree with, and they listen to me, and then they share their heart with me in a loving way, right there. Right there. That's the only potential moment where I could actually have a change of heart. And to do that requires love, self giving love, one loving conversation at a time. Is it the Jesus way? Absolutely it is. Jesus marches into Jericho, and what does he do? He sits down with the one person in Jericho that he would be the first to disagree with and to have bitterness towards, and it's Zacchaeus. And how does Jesus change Jericho? He meets across a table of hospitality and loves Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus then gives his money back. And the city is changed because of one conversation, one loving conversation. There's a ripple effect of self-giving love. One conversation at a time. We need to remember that our battle is not against people, It's never been against people. It's against the dark spiritual forces at work in this present age. And if you read Ephesians 6, the only weapon we're allowed to have in Ephesians 6 in the armor of God is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's it. That's how we fight our battles. Now, for those of you on the progressive, liberal side of things, I really hope that you're also having these conversations as well. And you're, you're analyzing the state of your heart and the anger that you're processing. See, each of us, wherever we're at politically, we have to be confronted by the kingdom of self-giving love of Jesus. And we will make no progress unless we're faithful to follow him. And why on earth would we do this? Why would we live and love this way? Simply put, only because of the gospel Listen to Galatians 2.20. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that not beautiful? He loved me and he gave himself for me. That's it. That's why we live this way. A number of years ago, uh, I was struggling. I was struggling with practicing um, the self-giving love of Jesus. And uh, I, I had some interactions with a particular person and I felt so hurt by this guy. And I just wanna let you know, this was a very, very, very private uh, conflict. And I know that when I share publicly like this, it might be easy for you to think, oh, yeah, I think Matthew had a conflict with this person. It might be this person. Trust me, I don't think you know who this is at all. It was very private. Um, It does make me feel a bit weird because you're like, maybe numerous names come to mind, so hopefully I'm not a person of lots of conflict. (laughs) And some of you are like, yeah, I know the story. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, No, but anyway, so there was just, it was very private and... um, I was having a difficult time. And so one day I took a long walk on the Houston Trail. Some of you will know the story, I shared it a number of years ago. But on the Houston Trail, I was trying to learn to pray for my enemy. And uh, I, I went to this certain part of the trail and there was this kind of field of ferns. <laughs> and I remember just staring at the ferns for a very long time. And it probably looked a little bizarre. Maybe some of you were walking the trail. and. And I was, just, I was just praying. I was like, show me how to pray. Show me how to pray. And all I could pray was the words from the cross that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And uh, many of us who've tried to pray that will do something like this. Okay, Father, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. Of course he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he did. Could you show him exactly what he did? <laughs> oh, sorry. Distraction. Okay. Father, forgive them, you know? <laughs> That, that's our honest prayer in that moment. And so I'm trying and I'm kind of looking at these ferns and, and then I start walking and, and it's awkward and I'm trying to figure out how to pray for him. And, but as I walk the trail, I, I, started to, I started to experience healing. God's healing kind of touched my life. And I was aware of it because it's like he opened up a door for me to see, um, for me to see this guy and how lost this guy was. And to see how loved this guy was by God. And, and as I was processing, I could see him as a human, not, not only as my enemy. And there's something healing about that moment. And actually, in the moment, I thought of a tangible way to maybe love this guy. I was going to give him a gift. I thought, oh, okay, I'll give him a gift. And, um, and I knew he loved coffee. And so I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Um... I went home and I talked to Tanya and I'm like, okay, hey, let's give him a Starbucks card. And I, I don't remember how much it was. It was somewhere between like 50 and $100, like let's say 75 bucks, something like that. Because I really wanted to do something uh, sacrificial. Maybe for you that's like change or something, but remember, for me I was like, okay, this is, this is, a lot, is this a lot of money? Is that a good, come on, can I get some affirmation here? That's pretty good, right? Okay, all right, for an enemy, right? Maybe a $5 card for an enemy, but okay. So I was thinking, I know he likes coffee, so I'm gonna do this. And so I sent it to him in the mail with a little note. And anyway, he gets back to me, and he's like, uh, I cut up your card. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> nuclear war, right? Like, I'm ready. I'm ready to launch the missiles. And, uh, and I'm like, you could have given it away or just whatever. But anyway, and so and I just had to process all that. And I'm like, didn't work, God. <laughs> didn't work. Self-giving love didn't work. And, um, but anyway, so two years later, so fast forward two years later, um, he shows up at the church, and he sits down with me and, and uh, Pastor Tim, and the three of us had um, one of the most beautiful moments of reconciliation I've, I've ever had. It was powerful. He came in, he told us some of the things he had been going through, and, and we were able to share some of the ways when we felt hurt, and And then it ended with communion. The three of us grabbed, um, ran around the church and found Welch's grape juice and bread or something. And And we took communion together in my office, the three of us. And it was powerful, it was so powerful, it was so healing. And, uh, and I promised that I'd get rid of this whole file that I had on him. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know why we keep those files. Like, is there gonna be a court case one day of this guy? And uh, you know, and I said, I'm deleting it. And I've deleted it. And I, I don't have that anymore. And, uh, and, and there's been forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And there's reconciliation. And I'm trusting. And I know that our stories don't all end like that. But I wanted to give you a story of hope of how stories could possibly end when we do this upside down way, um, which really is right side up. It's the right way, and, um, and, and, and I had no strength to do this. I had no strength. It was the Spirit working. It was God working. Clearly, for two years, I had no communication. God did something in this guy's life. God's the shepherd. I'm not. He's the one at work, and, um, and we can trust him. And I, w- I want to I draw us to, to another story. When Jesus was arrested, Peter, his follower, had a sword. Peter drew the sword and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And that servant's name was Malchus. Malchus. In Matthew 26, we read this, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. All who draw the sword will die by the sword. Are we listening? Jesus is making it very clear to you and I who are his followers. All who draw the sword will die by the sword in T. Wright again. Quote, the gospel of Jesus comes, uh, summons us to believe that the power of self-giving love unveiled on the cross is the real thing, the power that made the world in the first place and is now in the business of remaking it. I want to ask kind of a funny question. Do you believe that Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived? Now, before you answer that, I know you believe he's the most loving. I know you believe he might be the most glorious, right? Is he the smartest? We don't have to use that word for Jesus, right? He's smart. He's incredibly smart. Do we believe that his kingdom way of self-giving love is not only good, but it's actually smart. It's the wisest way to live. In the end, it will be the smartest move on the chessboard. The kingdom of God, this kingdom of self-giving love is how God is putting the world back together. And it's all anchored in the cross. So what I want to do is I want us to have a moment of prayer. Would you stand? And we, we want to pray together. It's time to interact with the Spirit of God here. And I want to say this, as we go into this time of prayer, um, I really hope that you are in a community, in a life group, an apprentice group. Apprentice groups are groups of three, four people. Life groups, groups of 10, 12, 14 people. And that this week you're going to process this. Um, I already this morning got a look at the life group study guide for this, and I'm so excited to just watch your groups walk through this, because we cannot do this alone without community. Like, we need the prayers of our friends around us, helping us, praying for us as we as we deal with the conflict in our lives. So I hope you're in community, but as we pray, maybe just encourage you if you want to, you don't have to do this, but have your eyes closed, your hands out in front of you, and picture just... In your mind, what it is you're carrying in those hands that are stretched out in front of you? What is it? What do you carry in those hands? What temptation do you have to play war games? What's your weapon of choice? And what would you hold out before Jesus? Is it pride? You never lose an argument. Is it turning the cold shoulder? Is it nursing bitterness? Is it practicing the art of subtle jabs? What is it? What would you hold out before Jesus? Is it gossip? Guilt trips? What's your weapon of choice? And just... As it comes to mind, just hold it out before the king. And only if you're ready to, would you, would you lay it down in front of him. Drop it. Ask him to take it. Ask him to heal you. we pray, come Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and fill the room. We cannot do this without you. We can we don't have the power to do this without you. We need your power, your grace. Would you come fill us, fill this room We read that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, pour the love of God out upon us. It starts with us. Our hearts need to melt as we see the beauty of the cross and the love of a father. And so Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We cannot do this. Pour out your love and just more of your love, which is your love. Just fill this room. We need your presence.